0: Chris, thank you so much for coming on Startup Steroid today. I'm really excited to talk to you about F3 and what you're trying to achieve with that accelerator program. But before we get into all of that, tell us a little bit about yourself.
1: So, I uh, started my career, um, let's say in the late 90s, uh, working actually in research at Hopkins, uh, Johns Hopkins, guess, and um, numerous different fields um, in looking at um, let's say typical lab science kind of uh, business and was really focused on that for future and then ended up moving into the biomedical space, Uh, left uh, Hopkins to uh, get involved with two biomedical startups in that particular uh, area and then uh, jumped into the ag world around 2004 or five. And uh, that began uh, a pretty long uh, career and, and Varying uh, parts of the industry, from technology to distribution to manufacturing, uh, actually starting in South America and then uh, heading back to the U.S. And currently, today, uh, I am the program director for F3. Uh, after having stepped down from my last uh, executive role, uh, working with a uh, group in Miami, and um, and currently also uh, the, the founder of a. A group of uh, agricultural technology and therapeutic companies.
0: Fantastic. So it seems like it sounds like you've been in the agricultural industry for better part of the last 20 years, uh, 17, 18 years at least. Um, sure. Tell us about some of the experiences and what um, what you sort of achieved in that period. Yeah, so I uh, began that work uh, actually in Chile, and I was involved with uh, numerous bits of
1: the agricultural industry there as they began to put together, um, let's say, some larger uh, focuses on uh, international business in uh, agriculture, uh, dealing with organic products or trade products, uh, seafood, and uh, that expanded. Uh, into the development of a pretty good group of uh, retail products over the years, probably about the 65 to 75 that I've been involved with. Um, and that then led me uh, a little bit uh, more specifically into some of the roles that I've had uh, since then, which is working with uh, a turnaround uh, organization uh, and investment in uh, numerous bits of the food industry uh, from distribution in the US. Uh, as well as abroad, um, including uh, what would then be the, the kind of beginning of land-based aquaculture uh, about 12 years ago, and since then have uh, remained actually quite involved in in all of those fields um, as an advisor to some companies and helping to develop others, and uh, that's really kind of brought me back around to uh, where we were now, which was to put together a culmination of everything from my. Uh, science background to that in the food industry, as well as in uh, developing new companies, working with investment, uh, the investment community, and uh, putting together now uh, what is a uh, very interesting and, and uh, technology-driven uh, group of companies, while at the same time being able to give back some of that uh, experience to a group like F3.
0: Fantastic. Yeah. Um, I know there's a lot of new development science coming into the agricultural industry that's essentially been stagnant for the last, you know, 150 years. Um, uh, tell us about uh, what you sort of saw coming into F3 and what the focus really is uh, in developing sort of those next generation technologies. The the bigger focus has been um, really trying
1: to find uh, existing technologies um, that are, let's say, prevalent in other areas and how we then uh, move those towards uh, agriculture um, and provide different, um, let's say, methods of revenue development for those companies, as well as try to increase uh, technology adoption uh, in ag. Uh, AG has been a rather interesting area uh, when I first got uh, involved in it in South America. I was uh, a little bit unaware of still how much uh, science was there. Um, everything was very much uh, similar to the chemistry and other type of work I had done in the past and actually, I think one of the, the probably largest um, let's say areas of lack of knowledge by you know, everyone from the general pol- uh, public on up to investors uh, is actually the amount of technology that's involved in it. But it's been an industry that has been, uh, let's say, much more uh, homegrown. Uh, there are a lot more private corporations, family-owned uh, entities. In fact, the largest privately-owned company in the world, Cargill, is, is uh, an ag tech company and still uh, not public. Um but it has been an industry uh, that has um, in and of itself really focused more on what it felt uh, that its needs were and invested in that with much less outside involvement uh, than newer areas today. Um, So what we're trying to do is really kind of bring both sides together um, and speed up uh, some of these aspects because there obviously is this point of Uh, It's not that, um, and we we definitely don't feel that ag can't uh, do this itself. Uh, It's more so just trying to bring more opportunities and discussion together to move more quickly.
0: Absolutely. And those those discussions are so important because uh, a lot of, you know, Silicon Valley uh, technology based uh, accelerators, investors, they really don't have a very deep understanding of the agricultural world. Um, so I think that's the really missing piece. Um, tell us how you're sort of bringing those investors together with the new startups um, and, and what F3 is actually, what, what the goal of F3 is.
1: Yeah, I think that's a very good point, a, a good way to lead into that answer, which is it, it's always kind of ironic that uh, we find that we feel we don't know a lot about agriculture when it's the one thing that everyone actually takes part in. Right, So we all eat, um, but we all sometimes as well don't think we know. But I think we know a lot more than we do. I think what uh, we don't know is about how these scales happen um, and how technology has actually played into things and how it's really kind of driven the development of many countries from the beginning, uh, which was their agriculture. Um, So as far as F3 is concerned, uh, what we're trying to do is just promote more of that, uh, let's say, adoption aspect, uh, more creative thought to travel. uh, Originally, what we thought was from uh, trying to develop this economic uh, aspect from the rural areas, but more so trying to really, uh, at this point, bring them together. We see a lot of the uh, creativity without the specific experience, without the -the on-the-ground experience um, in the academic centers in Silicon Valley, Um, but there's much more of the creative use experience and everyday experience um, in those rural areas in agriculture, um, because at the end of the day, the goal is to get it done. However you can, Um, the technology and kind of ease of use aspects of things sometimes actually don't necessarily make agriculture easier. They may make it more compliant. um, But what we're trying to uh, really demonstrate here and and show investors is that there is a lot of overlap between a lot of other areas. Um, Actually, a lot of technologies we use in the biotech side or general understanding of nature uh, and ourselves actually comes from having studied animals first. But what we, we see is a much greater investment, obviously, on human health, and we want to take some of those aspects and push it back towards ag um, in that sense. Um, because at the end of the day, um, it's kind of an interesting scenario where we're actually let's say more inclined to put synthetic substances into our body, but we don't necessarily want to put them into the animals we consume or the plants we consume. Um, and that's really kind of where organic has gone and all of these things um, and, and different subsectors um, of the food industry over time, um, because we're more cognizant of that. And this is where I think we're, we're trying to bring together a lot of these aspects, whether it's you know, environmental whether it's ag, whether it's even the cyber aspects now, Uh, That we see kind of interestingly enough, um, F3 has uh, been at the the forefront of looking at cyber technology concerns uh, for the last two years. And now as of this year, uh, the biggest uh, cyber concerns uh, in the U.S. and most recently are having to do with our food supply chain. So these are a lot of the areas that we're trying to do, which is to bring all of these sides that we're aware of together uh, to determine um, whether everyone really does have that information um, and to provide more of that overlap and in information to show both sides that there's there are ways to make money um, that may be generally just in front of them. Um, they just may not know about it. So there, there's definitely a lot of opportunities in ag for technology to flow over to the biotech or software side, and there's a lot of uh, opportunity from the reciprocal one of the biggest things we've seen in that area really is actually trying to get software uh, to merge a little bit better with agriculture. Uh, there are probably more versions of ag-related software and farm management and integration software that I've seen for for any particular sector, um, but at the same time, have the lowest amount of adoption um, because there are so many integral ways that it works, and at the same time, you have to make sure that it's not just digitizing what we already do, it has to have a value. It has to be uh, make life easier, change labor, um, or add some compliant aspect to it.
0: Absolutely, so the idea is not to just add technology for the sake of adding technology. It's really to achieve the the, the next sort of step, whatever that step may be. Um, to that extent, one thing you sort of touched on that I want to elaborate a little bit more on is, um, you know, the the supply chain uh, sensitivity. And, you know, just coming out of the COVID uh, era, um, we understand how sensitive those supply chains are now, especially how it relates to our food. Um, And there's been a lot of startups in that arena. Um, You know, it could be everything from just supply chain management tools to, you know, using blockchain to make sure that you can track the food from, uh, you know, inception to consumption. Um, what kind of companies are you seeing? What kind of value add services are you seeing in that, uh, in that supply chain management uh, space? So
1: there, there's been a lot of discussion of this. Um, it, it actually relates to some other things uh, that I was involved with privately as well last year that kind of came to light for the, uh, through the USDA and, and just looking at supply chain loss, um, as it was related to COVID and, and what was happening, um, and being able to distribute, and one of the biggest things I'd say as the results that we saw um, in our discussions, and a lot of this happened to to be related to retail, uh, was looking at how products got to that particular point because that was the big problem. Um, but also at the same time, it pushed back a little bit on the the uh, let's say procurement strategies of a lot of companies. Um, typically, the way that most of the uh, industry had worked at the larger scale um, was that there would be a, a single supplier that, that would win uh, a contract for a certain period of time to supply a product. Um, but at the same time, when you have a generally one large entity that is going to be your provider, if anything fails, uh, you're not really left with very uh, good abilities, but quickly to uh, resolve that issue. And that's what we saw in the supply chain. That was the reason for most of it. Uh, That was why, you know, on an unrelated topic, you could go to Walmart and not find toilet paper, but you go to a little local store and you would find it Um, because the local stores and the smaller stores were uh, more capable of moving uh, creatively or quickly without having to go through their procurement strategies or violating their contracts to solve problems. Um, And we saw a lot of this come into play with uh, larger retailers. Uh, some who we spoke to as well, who had professed that they would now be changing some of their procurement strategies and looking at the local, regional, then national approaches to things, but always having kind of a moving uh, target aspect to what their business uh, was going to be driven by, um, because it can't just all be one bigger player. And I think what it really, at the end of the day, um, and you know, we saw this about ten years ago as well, and I saw this in the last company I was running. Um, At the end of the day, regardless of the certification or whatever it may be, organic or trade, et cetera, behind the products in the food sector, um, you know, outside of dealing with industrial ag, the most important thing to people at the end of the day really is local because it's the one that you can go to, you can solve a problem with, you can have an immediate uh, result from. Um, And this is uh, really, I think, a big part of, of what we try to promote as well when we're specifically dealing with it. Uh, let's say a uh, directed consumer part of the food chain um, is understanding first the local options and then going from there. But as far as supply chain and logistics, you know, that I think the interesting thing in this is we, we have added that as a category. Um, it's still a small category. It's, it's, it's growing, but it's one that we're looking for uh, more innovative technologies, not more just digitization of what exists. But at the end of the day, if we really think about it, um, if there's anything, you know, related to everything that we consume, you know, let's say outside of software and IT kind of things, if it has to be delivered, um, regardless of what's happening in the world, whether it's COVID or, or anything, um, logistics still has to occur. Logistics is still earning revenue and is still moving because it is the basis for everything that we have. So it is really important part for, for us, uh, I think, to convey that as well, because logistics is not. Um, just in the traditional sense, trucking. Um, It's the movement of those raw materials from the farm to a manufacturing facility, which will process it into different forms and move it along. And one of the biggest problems we saw from COVID was not uh, a lack of food. In fact, there was not a lack of food. The problem was a lack of food formatted in a certain way, um, created in a certain way that could not be readapted, um, and an inability to send it uh, to others In a different format and as we saw the food service kind of collapse with the closing of restaurants Um, that food was all still there but you know it was in big sizes Um, so how do you get that to a consumer what what do you do with that instead of throwing it away
0: right right no that that, so obviously i think this market is huge and and there are a lot of challenges that i think uh, technology can add a lot of value to Um, so let's talk more about specifically f3 And what you guys are doing, because I think that this accelerator program is really interesting because you're really, um, you know, the the idea is to provide uh, non-dilutive funding uh, to a lot of the companies, non-dilutive support also. Um, So tell us, you know, exactly what F3 is doing and uh, how you're sort of helping these startups.
1: Yeah, so the focus for the company really is, you know, what we think is a unique approach in these types of programs. It started about uh, two years ago when um, I and my team started looking at different ways that we felt we could, uh, at least in the greatest capacity, um, achieve more success uh, with companies. Because we think that the biggest problem with most programs is that they they come together for a very short period of kind of academic review um, to try to help people understand what they need to do. They complete the program, and then they're off typically to the next one. Um, we didn't see that as very viable. And, and what we wanted to do was, one, extend our involvement with companies, but, two, more so give them what they need in that, that consultative sense that they couldn't have otherwise that typically would cost them either a lot of money or even without it typically doesn't exist. And, and what that really is is looking at uh, a situation where we can tailor – uh their particular needs um and bring in a solution to that by the end of the program um and stand in place and, and the way we, we've done that um in the last uh, year and a half uh and are now kind of expanding upon that with this year's program um is working with a lot of the larger industrial companies uh in the ag tech world and cyber and biotech talking to them about what their needs are what what, what do they see as the next most important Uh, sector? What could make them more competitive in their particular area? Um, What do they feel they need to um, kind of jump to the next level in terms of uh, adopting new technologies and making things uh, move better and more quickly? Um, And then we're taking that backwards in a way to find the best teams in those topic areas, Um, teams of early stage companies that we can find uh, and then promote our program to such that their involvement is really to prepare them for a presentation to those companies because we've already solved that problem for them, uh, which is you know, any early stage company goes to an investor uh, will end with the question of, so how can you guarantee me sales? Uh, who's interested? Who's gonna buy your product? Um, so the way we looked at it was, if we can take our abilities, network, and resources, find customers for a particular product first, then go find the best people making those types of products, then the end of our program and its goal will be actually for us to spend the time and insert ourselves into that company for a few months, um, prepare it for a presentation to those customers at the end of it. And for us, that really gives us, let's say, a, a much higher level of due diligence than an even investor could do because we're there with them every day, a group of uh, mentors. We have about three to five that actually spend a great deal of time on it with different uh, expertise. And we'll impart ourselves in that company to make calls for them to figure out what they need to kind of deconstruct what they have and then reconstruct in a way we know either for an investment group uh, or customer, uh, it would be successful.
0: This is fantastic. I love this approach of starting with the goal in mind and then working your way backwards to find the right companies that can sort of achieve that goal. Um, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, I also know that you're working with a lot of—not uh, a lot, but a handful of government and uh, government organization or uh, NGOs, essentially, uh, to sort of help you get funding and help uh, the startups get funding. Also, tell us a little, little bit about that process and where the money is actually coming from. Sure. the The
1: program itself is actually part of a local economic development uh, entrepreneurship center, and it is. Uh, funded mostly through uh, local and state concerns, as well as uh, USDA and EDA funding uh, that's related to rural development, uh, new technology development, tech transfer, uh, and a lot of other categories that are uh, pretty consistent with the the development of uh, new technologies and expansion uh, into the marketplace. And uh, those programs help us to kind of set the basis for F3. It's the the, the funding that keeps the, the program moving. Uh, it's the funding that gets, um, or let's say makes its way towards the accelerator program participant companies. Um, we give them a, a, a bit of funding um, during the program, um, more so uh, focused on keeping them interested, keeping them focused, taking care of small concerns for them um, towards a program at the end where we, we do like a lot of them have a, um, a kind of uh, last day contest to see who has the most investable project um, and who has um, made the most progress in, in demonstrating its investability um, or ability to commercialize its, its products more quickly. Um, and a lot of resources that we have uh, in between uh, that are everything from funding to uh, actually stand-in resources, whether it be prototyping, um, marketing, uh, legal, IP, uh, financial. Uh, we have uh, you know, a very good group of uh, specific mentors on staff uh, with you know, up to Fortune 500 experience who uh, are there to help them move past what would be the you know, basics of early stage companies. Um, but with that intent of here's what we want to achieve and here's what we need to achieve. So we, we look at our position You know, much more so as, you know, throwing money at an early stage company isn't really going to solve that problem of, I don't know how to commercialize my product. I don't know how to call this uh, buyer. I don't know how to get in touch with this company to do a test trial. Um, Money doesn't typically solve those issues. Uh, It's the right people. And what we want to do is to help them assure, one, they have business people involved uh, that know those companies. Um, because more often than not, the technology companies um, and others that are similar tend to be more focused on developing their product than, you know, typically knowing their uh, customers. So we stand in in that part and then help associate the right people uh, with them uh, to assure that success.
0: Fantastic. So you you sort of touched on high level what the founders are getting, but let's let's unpack that a little bit more. Uh, because, of, you know, the, traditionally when you talk about uh, accelerators or incubators for that matter, um, the founders generally have to give up a percentage of the equity mm. and they get, you know, coaching once a week, once every couple of weeks, something to that effect and uh, mentorship and all of that is quite limited. Um, so tell me about, you know, what, the, what exactly is the founder signing up for when he comes to F3 and fills out that application?
1: Sure. As, as you mentioned before, it's definitely a, a non-dilutive uh, program. It's, it's one that does not request uh, or require equity. Um, it's actually more so what we exist to do. Uh, we exist to find companies and help to develop uh, solutions for uh, rural development, general economic development, and the ag tech sector, which for us really is a very, very broad Uh, Scenario. It's everything from traditional ag to uh, looking at crops and livestock to uh, land-based aquaculture or otherwise to uh, looking at therapeutics and medicines for uh, animals uh, down to food development, supply chain, environmental, uh, and even now energy and energy storage and how it relates to that. So um, for us, we exist um, to not take but to give. Um, because our outputs and outcomes that, that uh, are part of where our source funding comes from are based on that. What can we do the most and how do we right. demonstrate that we have actually created results uh, for the local communities uh, that they come from? So um, our program right now for you know, the foreseeable future won't change those aspects. Um, we don't ask for, for anything from these companies as well. Um, We do have uh, some programs in development that are actually post accelerator program and much further down the line for international companies as well, who are already situated and want to come to the U S as well as companies in the U S who are already, you know, well within their commercialization strategy, but looking for more connections or more creativity or from a different sector, as I said before, like cyber or bio um, and demonstrating how we can get them connected with, with uh, companies in this particular space and find new uh, sources of revenue. So uh, one of the the biggest aspects for the future that we think we need to also be involved with um, is actually this funding aspect and looking at the types of uh, companies we're targeting. Uh, It's mostly early stage companies who have already raised some private funding between 500 to 2 million. um, And that's because we want to make sure that already have a a foot in the door on that aspect and it's not just a chasing money scenario but more so how we can assure that success and and helping Um, and from that we're we're looking at as well to to uh, develop either our own or collaborative fund um, so that as part of our program um, if the applicant company does well uh, there could be a more direct and immediate path to funding um, since what we really see is we have a a better gauge on the due diligence of those companies than you could ever get from the outside uh, doing your typical financial due diligence because we've been there. Uh, We're there with them. We're working with them essentially for four months before deciding uh, whether there could be an investment. And we think that the value of what our program provides to investors at the end of the day is a very significant level of due diligence that you normally wouldn't be able to gauge um, where we kind of throw all of the PowerPoints and, you know, excels out the window and really figure out if this company has a, a path to success.
0: Absolutely. And speaking from an investor's perspective, that means so much, you know, if, if you've been in the trenches with them, you've worked with the company day in and day out and are now sort of promoting that company. That means a whole lot more than just getting a pretty presentation. So <laughs> I completely yeah. agree with you. Um, now, let's talk about your next cohort that's coming up. I know you're ex- accepting applications for that. When does yeah. it close, and what, uh, what do the founders need to get ready for that?
1: So we're actually uh, – we've just begun the, the second phase of that. Um, it, it actually technically uh, will close in July. Um, but uh, we have about three rounds that we do. So we had an initial phase application, although you know, we can still let others in if you're interested. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've moved to the second round with the first set uh, that we've received, and that uh, includes a kind of multi-level, uh, let's say, interview and, and questionnaire process where we we'll now start getting into more specific questions about the business. Again, all these kind of commercialization aspects, customers, um, definitely revenue and otherwise, but more specifically looking at uh, the, the business efficacy. Uh, There'll be a lot of interviewing as well uh, from our group as well as uh, from the outside from some of the uh, companies that we're working with on topics they're interested in uh, who will also give us feedback uh, of their interest. And then the final stage um, will be for the final applicants to validate uh, their position and uh, kind of makes a very quick jump downward. Uh, In the second phase, it goes to typically no more than Uh, 15 or 20 companies um, and then that will uh, then pare down to five in the end and uh, we've done five since the beginning it's been a good pretty good number for us because of the amount of time that we spend Um, and it is pretty significant and thus we think uh, at least right now uh, it's good in terms of uh, being able to uh, spend as much time as possible and really kind of get involved with the companies more significantly. So uh, we are still accepting those applications. They'll have to move faster and faster. But um, really, you know, what we expect is it would be very similar to an investor presentation. Um, we want to see, you know, the history of the company. Is their IP involved? Um, who are the potential customers? Um, have you, you know, talked to them? What are they really saying? Um, do you understand how to manufacture your product uh, and the costs associated with that? Um, and in the end, the team. Um, at the end of the day, uh, that's really the important part for us. We have to believe, like an investor would, that that they believe that person is going to be able to give them their money back. So for us, um, even though we don't expect any money back, we want to look at that uh, company in a way to say uh, that uh, we believe that this company can follow through because one of the things that we look at in our metrics um, is actually follow-on success. So yeah. did they... Complete that contract? Did they obtain more customers that we connected them to, um, or did they receive that investment?
0: Absolutely. So you're basically using the same criteria an investor would use in analyzing that company. Um, So I I always like to end with the action step question for the founders who might be listening to us right now. And, And the question is what is the one thing that they have to do before they reach out to you? And we talked about a bunch of things that they should have. But that one thing without which it, it, the conversation doesn't even start. Um, what is that one thing for you that the founder needs to bring to you uh, in that first conversation?
1: I'd say the, the the biggest thing, you know, there are kind of two parts, but there's one that's more important than, than another. You know, in, in an early stage company, um, projecting your financials is really hard. You know, it's, it's an estimate. Um, we find that some people obviously do that better than others, but in in kind of going along with that, what's more important for them to know um, is actually um, why someone needs their product. Um, The the greatest, uh, I'd say, error that we see uh, in the development, definitely from the academic side, is uh, a lot of uh, solutions for problems that don't exist or exist in a small enough way, but nobody's willing to pay for the solution. Um, and and it kind of inherent belief that because I made it, it's great. Um, the, the the best way to really kind of judge yourself, uh, you know, and I do it to myself as well, is try to talk yourself out of it. Um, go through this process. Be able to to get down to that root of does somebody really need uh, what I made, and are they willing to part with their money for it? Um, and really understanding it, because a lot of times what we find is besides the extremes. Um, a lot of products are tailored towards a symptom of a problem, but not necessarily the root cause. And that's a little bit harder when you get to the bigger companies and saying, well, I talked to this buyer over here and he said he has this problem. That's great. But is, his, is that his problem or is that the company's problem or is that the sector's problem or is that going to change their, uh, their you know, business tomorrow? So make sure you have an answer. To those questions which is who needs this and why do they need this
0: yep that's that's a fantastic uh, note to end the conversation on thank you so much chris i think we covered sure. a lot of really important things in this conversation a lot of uh, in, uh, important information for the founders who are sort of uh, uh, looking for that next step uh, in growing uh, their businesses And, uh, uh, you know, the mission that you're on with uh, F3, as far as uh, working with USDA and uh, the Small Business Association, I think that that's also extremely important. So I wish you all the luck in the world. And thank you so much for coming on today and sharing that story with us. Thank you, Duval. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye. Thanks. Bye.